Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. It's fucking tough when you learn about organizations that really do have like secret <laughs> rituals within them. It's like a lot of people don't know this exists, even a lot of Mormons. There is such thing as a second anointing, which guarantees a spot in heaven no matter what you do after you are secretly anointed. That's so cra- that's so wild. Hey guys, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness. It would mean the world if you could like and subscribe, leave a comment. Um, Give me some suggestions for guests that you want to see on the show, and if we do end up bringing on that guest, we will feature your comments. Today's guest, you have seen him once before. We did a video on his channel that did really well. We did a video on my channel that did really well. And so we thought, let's do another one where we go even deeper. So today's guest, he obviously has his own channel where he discusses everything Jehovah's Witness, um, goes into the theology, what's going on, current events. And he's just got so much to say. So I wanted to dive in again with Jake from Altworldly. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, anytime. Reunite the dream team. That's right. So on your channel, we did a video, pretty much kind of what we're doing today, but we focused more on my story. So we are going to go more into the similarities between Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. I'm an ex-Mormon. You're a former Jehovah's Witness. So we focused a lot on my story on your channel, but people were eating it up and they were loving it. And so we realized after that conversation went by- You had a meeting out of the palm of your hand on the channel. (laughs) (laughs) I did my best. But what we realized afterwards was that there were so many things that we didn't get to. And so I have my notes here and we're going to try and hit everything, every similarity between Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And if we miss more, yet again more, please drop them in the comments so that we can find out more. I mean, I'm all about learning. We're here to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I was also inspired by your comments, Deseret Boot. You said you guys should do a video where you compare themes across JW and Mormon theology using their pictures, imagery, videos, etc. would be interesting. So we're doing a little bit half and half. On this video, we're going to be talking about the theology. We may include a few pictures here and there. But we are also going to do another video on Jake's channel where we actually show each other and react to propaganda videos from each other's religion. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be like a propaganda secret Santa, like a gift exchange <laughs> a gift exchange. Of dogma and cult stuff. Yeah, a dogma is just like the, the trauma gift that keeps on giving. Yes. So we're going to do that. So make sure you go to Altworldly and subscribe so you don't miss that episode as well. And then the second comment that I wanted to feature today is from a typical Paul. And he goes, totally know what he means about him looking up stuff about ex-Mormons. And it helped because it didn't have the same triggering effect as the XJW stuff he came from. This is what I did looking into the Scientology cult. It was similar to my experience, but way different terminology and such that gave it a distance from what was triggering me about my past trauma. So ultimately, we want to make content that's relatable for you guys, that is helpful. And it's like we mentioned this before. It's so easy when you're in a cult to look at another cult and be like, that's totally a cult. Like we would never do something that crazy without really reflecting on yourself and being like, oh, we believe some crazy shit too. So I think it's helpful to compare, contrast, expose, and break down all of these culty things so that people can be more informed and think, wait, maybe am I am I in a cult? Do I need to check out some stuff? So that's why we're here today. Yeah, I relate to that comment too, because I, I think one of the things that definitely started to get me concerned as as a believing member of Jehovah's Witnesses was when the going clear saga was coming out of oh, Scientology, yes. you know, I had that documentary and and the book. And I, I didn't <clears throat> consume a lot of it like firsthand, like I was too afraid to watch it, but it was still like reported on. And 
it was easy to think to myself like, well, at least we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we we don't beg for money like that. But like you hear yourself say that and you think, well, why am I even thinking that? And so just like getting yourself anything that kind of gets yourself in the mindset of like, well, do we do that? And just because we don't do this specific thing, do we do something kind of similar that's also harmful? Yeah, it's kind of you got to got to like start by dipping your toes in and like laundering your doubts through other <laughs> cults before you're willing to like circle back around to your own. Yeah, it really is helpful because it just helps you decompress and see things through a different perspective that you otherwise wouldn't have. And like you said, if you start to realize you're making allowances for yourself, anytime you have to say, this isn't a cult, maybe you should check into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always point out, you know, the the thing that really broke me and like really bothered me. And it was the first thing that I ended up making a video about on the channel was the JW.org website, the official website of Jehovah's Witnesses has a frequently asked questions article called Are Jehovah's Witnesses a Cult? Oh my God. And I feel like if it is a frequently asked question, <laughs> you might, you know, if, if it happens once, that, that's a misunderstanding. There's been a, just a terrible miscommunication. But if this is enough for like, well, a lot of people are asking, we got, we got to put something on the website. Uh, that in and of itself is a little bit of a self-report. I agree. I think both of them are cults. Maybe that's the first similarity. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, how, I, well, I, this is a, I was about to ask you, how do you feel about the word cult? You, yeah. you literally do cults to consciousness. I feel like you're, yeah. you're quite comfortable with it. I've been, um, it, it's a word that I, find myself trying to like i don't know like I, I use high control group yeah high demand religion i'll use those things more um because i do think that the stereotypical call that uh you get through pop culture and, and movies and stuff is like people in white robes yeah. sacrificing animals people yes. whatever you know the, the midsummer of it all uh and it's maybe more disarming sometimes to just hear like high control group and you're like well i i mean am i being controlled um but i still think cult is a powerful word because it does have those stigmas mm -hmm. so i don't know how do you how do you feel about that like when you're communicating with like members and stuff right so i wouldn't i would never walk up to a, a current member of any of these groups and say hey you're in a cult because as you say <laughs> yeah. it's very it makes people really defensive really fast. And the reason is, just like you mentioned, when it comes to pop culture, anytime you say the word cult, it's like babies being sacrificed and devil worship. But when you actually look into the word and you you understand that it's behavioral control, information control, thought control, emotional control, which is the bite model by Dr. Stephen Hassan and other cult experts. I mean, some people even try and discredit the bite model. And I'm thinking, well, anytime you're controlling someone's behaviors, information, thoughts, and emotions, that's a high control group. So I think there's a lot of things that go into that. But at the end of the day, it's where there is a power differential. There's someone at the top making all the choices, calling all the shots, telling everyone below them what to do. There's It usually involves you giving away your money, your time, your energy, your talents, which we're going to talk about. It usually involves isolating people when they leave, um, demonizing them when they leave so that it's really hard for people to get out of it. It makes them feel afraid to leave because they feel like they don't have a choice. And it's just high control. So I know a lot of people can be triggered by the word cult. In fact, many people come at me in my comments about it. But at the end of the day, people are interested in cults and they look at all the documentaries that are out right now. It's like one after I the know. other after the other. And they're so popular because people are interested when others get sucked into something that is controlling. And so if I were to just be called high demand group to consciousness, do you think anyone would click <laughs> on my channel? <laughs> Probably not. It's, it's not great branding, is it? Yeah. So I know it sounds a little harsh and I'm never meaning it in a derogatory way that pop culture puts it in, but I'm meaning it to wake people up, to like create that stir, to have them be like, wait, let me, let me assess this and see if I really am, am in what she's saying I'm in. I, th I think it yeah. just helps wake people up a little bit to I, wanting I to do the, the research themselves. 
And if you, you know, because if it makes you defensive and you hear yourself being defensive, that alone makes you think like, well, why, why is this even a struggle for me to, you know, combat? Mm-hmm. Like, why are people, if we're not a cult, why are, why are we so easily mistaken for one? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what, uh, is something that would bother me. So no, I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's good. It's, it's good to use the, the words that kind of, um, can cause discomfort in that way because, yeah, I think it calls it what it is. If a group is harmful, and it's not wrong to say that it is. Yeah, I agree. When when the group is actively causing harm to its members, I think everyone has a right to call it out. So that's what we're doing. One hundred percent. The other thing, you know, if if I may, you reminded me of something, which is in this conversation about cults. You know, you you talked to somebody from Nexium recently yeah and in this season two of the the hbo series that they're doing on nexium it starts out with the female leader whose name i i don't remember but it's kind of this internal video of her saying that people use the word cult to kind of like suppress free speech like oh yeah there there are people that are going to call us a cult and what i have noticed recently is that one thing that cults are very willing to do is to say that there are people out there who say we're a cult, but they're the ones who are in a, who are in the real yeah. cult. You know, it's the rest of the entire planet that's in a cult, and we're the only ones who aren't. That's a great point. They'll use the word too. They just apply it to everybody else. That's also something that should make you suspicious if your group, high demand group, is redefining words to their benefit. <laughs> Usually that means there's something fishy going on. Or if they flat out say, like, I think there was a video of Nancy. I think that's who you're mentioning, Nancy, saying, yes. so what if we're a cult? We're helping people. Or like, sure, we're a cult. So if they accept it, then it feels less scary. If they say, yeah, we are doing all of these things and we blah, 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 but look how good it is. That's another way of thought stopping because it makes it harder for them to see the negative effects when it's painted in a positive light or calling themselves out when really they're not doing the work and, and going into why being a cult is probably a bad thing. <laughs> they just show yes. the, the positive things. There is a great quote from... One of the Jehovah's Witness leaders, uh, Sam Hurd, one of the governing body members on one of the JW broadcasting episodes saying, some people say you're brainwashed. Well, we do like to think our brains have been washed clean from Stop. worldly desires and things Stop. like that. So, Stop. you know, they'll, they'll find a way to embrace these terms. Yeah. Uh, they will find a way to be like, no, we are a basket of deplorables and we like it. You know, like it doesn't matter. If it's a bad word, they'll find a way to be like, no, no, no. Where well, we are brainwashed because our brains are so clean. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's, Jake. yeah. But it's hard to look back and, and uh, you know, think, how did I not think anything of that at the time because that's a clip that existed when I was in the religion and it was one of those things to when I was deconstructing and looking back watching it and thinking how did I just never even think when I heard that and yeah. I think a lot of what the deconstructing process is, is figuring out like wait a minute how was I letting all this stuff like wash over me without ever really thinking about it yes exactly yeah and we're gonna go deep into the mind control and everything but first i want to start with the origin story i'm gonna tell you the origin story of mormonism in like two minutes or less and then you can tell me the origin story of j-dubs and okay. we'll compare notes mormonism there's this guy named joseph smith and it was in like 1820 something i should know the date but i don't and i'm sorry but some somewhere around there upstate new york he goes, I don't know which religion to join. So he goes into a grove of trees and he prays and he says, God, which religion do I join? And guess what? God and Jesus actually descended from heaven in a pillar of light, says the story, and said, none of the churches are true. You can't join any of them. You need to restore my true church on the earth. Everyone is so off. You need to fix this, Joseph. He says, cool. How do I do that? And he goes, there's some, there's a record of, of a people in the Americas that you are going to translate and it's going to be the Book of Mormon. Fix me in the comments here. It's been 10 plus years since I was Mormon, but, <laughs> but essentially another angel visited him later and his name was Moroni and he was like, hey, 
these plates are in the hills, like in your backyard, which is super convenient that this other ancient guy brought up from South America and put their record on it. And you're going to translate them. So he did by putting his head into a hat and looking at a rock that apparently lit up with words. And he dictated as someone else wrote it down. And uh, funny story, no one actually ever saw the plates with their real eyes. They saw them with their spiritual eyes. And the plates, you're probably thinking like, well, great. Where are they now? Can we see them? No, because they were taken back to heaven. Very good. That was that was, that was good. That was just... And so Mormonism began. Yeah. It's, it's like the end of <laughs> Batman Begins where it's like at the end, it's the question of like Mormonism begins. <laughs> like after the plates. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, I think, a good preamble to what is, I think, a little bit different about Jehovah's Witnesses. Whereas like the origins of Jehovah's Witnesses down to this day are really not magical like they are not stated to be this grandiose journey that involves direct revelation like joseph smith like it's inauspicious to the point of of being mundane Mm. uh like our group was started and i can correct the record here it it was not started in upstate new york like i erroneously said in our our previous video It it was started in pennsylvania but their headquarters uh for the very long time to this day is, is in upstate New York. And um, it was started by a, a man named Charles Taze Russell and a close associate, Nelson Barber, and uh, some other friends. And it is very similar in the sense that it, uh, if you look at the Wikipedia for both like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, they are both restorationist, millenarian, non-Trinitarian groups uh, that started during the same period in the late 1800s, which is known as uh, like the, the Great Awakening. It's when a lot of religions, including like the Seventh-day Adventists, started. Yeah. And what happened is there was a great disappointment when, uh, I can't remember, was his name William Miller? You know, he, he predicted the end of the world, and the world didn't come. And many people were disappointed, including Charles Taze Russell. Charles Taze Russell was a salesman, uh, which is great. Uh, and he would continue to be a salesman until his death, depending on how you look at it. Uh, basically, he wanted to find the one true church. He's like, well, I know that God exists, surely, and there must be one true way of interpreting the Bible. But he was disappointed by what he saw in the churches of the world. And so Charles Hayes Russell is a guy who is said kind of famously did not have a lot of his own original ideas. Most of the ideas that he were getting were, were kind of this amalgam of a lot of different little things, like the non-Trinitarianism, taking these prophecies in certain books of the Bible uh, that give way to like numerology, like, oh, okay, well, if we look at all the numbers in this verse and we add them in this specific way, we can interpret this to maybe be the year of Christ's presence. Uh, and so he was originally kind of the next step in this doomsday predicting the end of the world movement. Uh, but it started as a small group of Bible students. He started as just a guy publishing magazines about his ideas about the Bible. And it just kept growing. Now, if you ask Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, what the origins of the religion is, they would say that there was a period of darkness after the first century in which true worship was lost. There is always, there had previously always been true worship, whether it's from the Jews and Christianity. And then there was a long period of darkness. And then Charles Hayes Russell comes around, starts the Bible student movement. And in 1919, as they would argue, it was prophesied in scripture, Jesus Christ invisibly chose the organization that would become to be known as Jehovah's Witnesses as the true organization on earth. Mm. So there's a lot of like invisible stuff of like God revealing things, but it's never in the kind of direct way of like an angel comes down and talks to Charles Taze Russell, Mm. which I think is kind of an interesting difference to the point where this, to this day, the governing body members do not claim to have some special relationship with Jesus where they like talk to him directly. It's all very indirect and yet somehow miraculous. Sorry, I was kind of rambling and all over the place, but I guess that's the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. Like it really was a small movement that just kept ballooning to the point where it is now. None of the churches were true. God said, or God helped create his one true church. And so both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses think that they are the one true restored church of God, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, they believe that they are the truth in the sense that 
they, they believe that they are kind of part of this chain of true worship that includes the ancient Israelites and Christianity, first century Christianity specifically, and then Jehovah's Witnesses. And is, my understanding is that it's pretty similar for Mormons, except, you know, instead of, and then Jehovah's Witnesses, they would say, and then the Latter-day Saints. Yeah, Latter-day Saints. I mean, right? it's, okay. it's in the name, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So it's Jesus's church, and we're in the last days, like the whole, the end is coming thing, which is another similarity. Very much so. Now, first of all, I have to say, we have talked about branding a little bit. I have long felt that church of Jesus of Latter-day Saints is not a good name for a church. I think you don't. I don't think you. Do, I don't think you get two ofs. I don't think you get to be of something of something. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You know what I mean? I think you could be the Jesus Christ Church of Latter Day Saints, but the Church of Jesus Christ of another thing seems like a hat on a hat to me. You know what? I have never considered it. And so I think we have a better name. That's all I'm saying. You do have a better name, but it's also a bad name because everyone's like, "Who? What does that mean?" Who is Jehovah? What does it mean to witness him? I mean, that's true. Let's just let's just agree that they're both not great. <laughs> it's a tie. Okay, it's, it's a tie. tie. I came in there pretty excited, but I think it's a tie. <laughs> yeah, and both of these churches claim to be Christian, but both of these churches, every other Christian in the world would say, no, you are not, right? You get that a lot in your comments. I get that a lot in my comments. Yes, Another thing I think is that they viewed themselves as like a, a correction of churches, like especially with the Trinity thing, like part of the impurity of modern religions is that they teach such horrible, unbiblical things like the Trinity, which, mm. you know, are disrespectful to God. And one way we know our church is true is that we don't teach these things that other mainstream religions teach. Right. So let's get into the weeds with that. So with Mormonism... Yeah. They, I almost said we, they believe that Jesus is our literal brother, like me and you are brother and sister, and Jesus is also our sibling. And God is our father, which is why they call him heavenly father. And then the Holy Ghost is just like this little thing that floats around and like goes away at midnight and goes away when you're sinning and listening to bad music. So (laughs) three separate things. But I remember telling my friend when she had her intervention with me in high school about how I was going to hell, she was like, Shalise, you can't believe that Jesus is your brother. That is blasphemous. You're going to go to hell for that. And I'm like, no, why would I? Like, I was so confused because my whole life I was taught that Mormons are Christian. And so and she was very, very Christian and from like a long line of pastors. And she was like, nah, girl, that's not true. (laughs) So, So I'm curious what you guys believe or like how you believe Jesus relates to you? It's a good question. And it is a, it is a confusing answer because yeah, one of the most common comments that I get that is uh, annoying to me (laughs) is from people who are now Christians, whether they are XJW or not, who are upset at the idea that I refer to, to Jehovah's Witnesses as a Christian group mm-hmm. because they're like, no, 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 that's not true Christianity. Mm-hmm. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses say the same thing about them. No, right. no, no, you're not true. It's just reverse Uno cards all day long. <laughs> the idea is that they, yeah, they believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. He died for their sins, uh, blah, blah, blah. They're followers of Christ, kind of. The thing with Jesus is really weird. They do not believe that they are the same, but they believe that Jesus is God's firstborn son, that he was his first creation. Mm. And so Jesus is God's son in like a, a very literal sense. He's the head of the congregation, as which means to them, like he is the one ruling over the entire organization. But Jesus is the assistant to the regional manager, to the <laughs> regional manager who is Jehovah. So he's still secondary to God. And that is some, you know, that that is where mainstream Christians take issue because he is not co-equal with God. They, he is definitively, you know, the silver medalist in in the divine structure of things. So Jesus is not somebody that Jehovah's Witnesses pray to, but they pray through him, mm. which is very odd. So he's kind of like the forwarding message service for for God. You know, you you say your prayer to Jehovah, but then you say 
in Jesus' name, we pray. Yeah, same. And, and that signifies to Jesus, like, oh, okay, I got an email. I got a <laughs> fourth song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. We do the same thing. And I actually remember as a kid, I asked my mom because we say, dear Heavenly Father, and then you say all the things you want, and then you say all the things that you're happy with, and then you say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And I remember saying, thank you so much for sacrificing your life so that we could be here today and then we can go to heaven. And then afterwards, I was like, wait, mom, but I'm not praying to Jesus, right? I'm praying to Heavenly Father. So should I not say that? And even she was like, I don't know, (laughs) because it's a little confusing (laughs) because at the end, you always say, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's That's a really interesting thing, too. Like, I had never thought about that, but it would be weird if a witness in their prayer was like, we want to thank Jesus Christ for his sacrifice. They'd be like, well, hang on a second. You thank Jehovah oh. for sacrificing his son. <laughs> you don't thank Jesus for his sacrifice. I don't know. Like a lot of witnesses, I think when, or ex-witnesses, when they start to wake up, I think they get very interested in Jesus because you kind of feel like when, when you realize the way the actual canon of mainstream scripture is formed, it's very clear <laughs> that the entire purpose of the New Testament is to give divinity to Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that any of it's true. But I think a like, careful examination of scriptural history will tell you that that's the purpose of the New Testament. So it is – it makes more sense when you read it and you're like, yeah, they want you to worship Jesus. That's kind of clearly what it's saying. Now, whether or not that's anything that you need to actually be doing is, is a different question. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I feel like I now have a better understanding of why Christians are so baffled by Jehovah's Witnesses. But the reason why – uh, and this can lead us into the next thing, is that Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation of the Bible. And it is very much their own because it was translated entirely by Jehovah's Witnesses. And in fact, if I can lob you up for something, much of their work was simply stolen from actual educated <laughs> translators that they're like, hmm, it seems like they did a good job. But you know what we should do is put in the name Jehovah here because I'm pretty sure Jesus would have said it if he, you know. He would be saying Jehovah's name because we say Jehovah's name and obviously we're like the modern day Christians. So, of course, they, they would be talking about Jehovah too. So, they're, the, the New World Translation Committee is literally just Jehovah's Witnesses taking existing Bible scholarship and being like, how can we also insert our doctrine into this? So, when you're a witness reading the New World Translation, you're like, how could there be all this confusion? It's so clear that there's no Trinity. It's so clear, but it's not mm. clear when you read, <laughs> you know, what actual scholars who have dedicated their lives to understanding ancient language uh, say about the Bible. So you didn't have a guy at the top that said, I know the way the Bible is supposed to be. Let me fix that for you. <laughs> we didn't. We we may, but they've never they've never taken ownership of that. Whereas you have a guy who is like, I'm going to write a sequel to the Bible. I have a guy. Yeah, tell me about, <laughs> tell me about your guy. <laughs> I have a guy. His name is J Dog. No, Joseph Smith. I have a guy for that. Joseph Smith, in addition to translating slash plagiarizing the Book of Mormon, um, and I say that, and I. Do not mean to be disrespectful. I'm sorry. Sometimes you have to laugh through your traumas. But uh, what happened was scholars have now found the patterning in the way that he wrote the Book of Mormon is very similar to the patterning of the Bible that he currently had at the time, whatever version that was, not some ancient way that should have sounded totally different if it were an actual record of ancient people in the Americas that he was talking about. There's that. There's a bunch of other like mound builder myths, things that he was surrounded with at the time, straight up copying stories from, I forget the name of it. Shoot, I should probably look it up and put it in the show notes. But there were a lot of things that he was just pulling from to create the Book of Mormon and to help give himself credibility, he trans- retranslated the Bible to fit together. So is, as Mormons, we would be doing our Bible study or our Book of Mormon study, and they're like, look, this cross-references to the Bible. But when you would actually look at the verse in the Bible and go to the footnotes, it would be Joseph Smith translation. So he literally just changed the Bible to make the Book of Mormon match. So it's really not that miraculous. It's just altering the text. So... That's one of the funny things that um, Mormons will say, no, we're Christian because we use the Bible. 
but it's been altered. And they also say, as far as it's been translated correctly, as to say, well, anytime you guys have a different idea, it's because it's not translated right. Yes. Yes. It is everybody else that has the mistranslations, not not us poor little Mormon slash Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, now, that's really interesting. And an- another thing that's worth touching on, because I don't remember if we got this or not, is the American, the uh, American centric mm. nature of the, the origins of Mormonism and, and the Book of Mormon, where, you know, in, in your case, uh, Jesus is like literally coming to America and saying like, hey, guys, this is going to be where I build my church. Yeah. To where, you know, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, th- they don't have a book like that, but it is still incredibly important to their theology that in 1914, based on Bible math, Jesus invisibly uh, took the throne and surveyed all the religions and found that Jehovah's Witnesses were the best, you know, clay lump to mold his church into. So they think that in 1919, for reasons that are too complicated to explain, Jesus chose this small American sect to be his people. Wow. So America is incredibly important to Jehovah's Witnesses. It's obviously still where the world headquarters is, and it's it's where all of their perceptions of morality, uh, dress and grooming, what it like, you know, what is socially appropriate, all of that comes from a, a very American perspective. Right. I think you had mentioned in our conversation previously about no beards. And like you have no to shave. Beards. It's the yeah. same with Mormons. Like you can have a beard if you're just like a regular church goer, but if you go on a mission, you have to have short hair and clean shaven and suits. Right. Yeah. It, it and uh, you know none of that is from the Bible. In fact, you can find Bible verses that tell you not to shave your beard. Mm. But what witnesses have that don't that uh, you know, Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Witnesses don't necessarily have that, but what they do have is just. Watchtower canon. And Charles Taze Russell infamously said that a person would get more out of reading his books, studies in the scriptures, than just reading the scriptures. Oh. Which is a pretty bold, you know, it, it's big talk. But when you think about it, it makes sense because you wouldn't really need a religion if the Bible really was just a book that was meant to be easily understood by everybody because then you could just, you know, now you could just pull it up on your phone. But a witness would say, no, let me reword that. Like, for me, if I was a Jehovah's Witness still, and even then I did not understand why we couldn't have beards. It just seemed very silly. Um, I would not be allowed to look at the Bible, pray to God, and come to a conclusion that, you know what? My conscience allows me to have a beard. No big deal. I might be able to do that, but I'm not going to be able to have any privileges in the congregation. Because the really important thing is not what the Bible says. It's what Watchtower says the Bible says. And if the current teaching in the publications, whether that's in books, magazines, or videos, is that beards are bad. Well, then beards are bad. So you still have this extracurricular material. It's just not like a book that they cite like scripture. Mm. You guys don't exalt Jesus in any way, even though he's technically leading the Jehovah's Witness group. So Jehovah's Witness is reading the Bible. It's very clear to them that you shouldn't worship Jesus. But that's because they have a very specific translation of the Bible that underscores what was already their beliefs at the time. Yeah. You know, they, it would have been <laughs> unlikely for the New World Translation Committee to write a translation of the Bible that affirmed the Trinity because they had based the whole thing on the Trinity being wrong. Yeah. So, of course, that's what they're going to emphasize in their translation of the Bible. So, here's a fun fact. I learned that Mormonism started off believing in the Trinity. But then Joseph Smith realized that he was just like all the other churches and he changed it. He went back through and changed all the the names to be specific to either Jesus or God. Mm. That's something that um, I, I think is kind of hard to prove, but it, it certainly seems to be that a lot of the weird specifics of Jehovah's Witness culture are based on specifically uh, Rutherford, Joseph Rutherford, who was the uh, guy who took over after Russell died. Um, And he's kind of the David Miscavige of the uh, Jehovah's Witness Mm. pantheon in that there was, you know, the original founder. And then there was this very ambitious 
kind of evil gross guy who saw an opportunity and, uh, you know, weaseled his way to the top in Joseph Rutherford. And he was the one who started instituting all these changes like, we don't believe in the cross anymore. We Like, the cross Same. as a symbol is wrong. The yeah. Bible, it means a stick. The, the, it, Jesus was hung on a torture stake. It was a stick, not a not a tea. So, like, you get, like, these kind of, like, weird things that they're very, very passionate about, but that really just seem to be a way of further being like, no, see, we're not like other religions because other religions are wrong because they think that Jesus died on a cross. But we know that if you look at the word this way, it meant an upright pole. Yeah, but all in seeming just to further distance themselves from mainstream society, mainstream religion, whatever. That's interesting. Mormons also don't believe in the cross, but not because of a theological reason. It's because they say we don't focus on his death. We focus on the resurrection. So if you were to wear a a cross, you would get super judged because you're just not supposed to do that. Yeah, I remember feeling uncomfortable when I ventured out of the Mormon bubble and I saw people wearing crosses, it made me physically uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because I that is something that I just thought was totally unique to our religion. Turns out it's not. Turns out we're not so something. unique. So you don't worship <laughs> Jesus, but right. the second coming is kind of like the whole precipice of the religion, right? Like the when he comes back and rules earth again. Yeah, this is really confusing. This is where you start getting into a church that is very clearly um, constantly trying to retcon their their past mistakes. Because when the church originally started, it was all about the second coming of Christ. Yeah. Uh, And that would be Armageddon. My understanding, I might be wrong, correct me in the comments if I'm wrong, but the trajectory as far as I remember it is that this is not what a Jehovah's Witness would tell you. This is what you learn when you actually go back and read their publications of what specific things they were saying. Um, you know, they were very adamant. No, the Jesus will return this date. And then that date would come and they would think, ah, well, maybe what we were actually pointing to wasn't Armageddon, but Jesus taking the throne in, invisibly in heaven. And once again, Charles H. Russell was not the first person to come up with this idea, but it is a convenient dodge when it turns out the end of the world didn't come. Uh, So, okay. So Jesus started ruling invisibly in heaven then in 1914. But they used to teach that he started ruling invisibly in heaven in like 1870-something. And so they kind of just keep on moving things down the road. So the, the weird thing about the second coming is they believe that already happened, kind of. Like, Jesus is in ruling invisibly in heaven right now. That was the second coming of Christ. He came back in 1914. That's done. But there's still the Lord's Day, of which is Armageddon. You know, there's there's still the the third coming of Christ, which is when he, you know, brings down all all the angels on his heaven horses and and destroys all the uh, non-witnesses on earth. Okay. So I also didn't know that Mormonism wasn't unique in that way because Uh we teach what's called the millennium where I had to look this up just to like refresh myself. So I went directly to the church website and what's interesting is they no longer focus on the death and destruction. But growing up, I distinctly remember them saying that when Jesus comes back, Everyone who is wicked or not a Mormon would literally be burned up in like a fire that encompasses the entire earth and everyone else after they've been lifted up and avoided the fire will be put back down on an earth that is renewed and made whole again. And then they would live in peace because Satan would be like bound up somewhere for a thousand years and you get to just like go about your merry way and do your whatever. And then after that thousand years is up, Satan is like, I'm back, bitches. And he comes and tries to tempt you again. And if you if you fall to that temptation, you didn't pass the test. If you stayed righteous, then you get to go to heaven. We have all of that. Really? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's no, that's our thing. What? Don't take that from us. Swipe. The thousand year reign of 
Christ, I know, yeah, in the Paradise Earth, which is what all the, you know, witness art that you've seen of the beautiful Earth and people, you know, playing with wild animals and stuff, yeah. is that's the thousand year period where Satan is chained up in an abyss. Yeah. But after a thousand, and, and people will have an opportunity to serve God perfectly, but yeah. there will be those who don't. And so after a thousand years, he'll be let out and he'll do a, you know, Armageddon round two bonus rounds and uh-huh. then the like real paradise real double paradise will happen after that <laughs> i think what bothered me the most as a kid was i remember saying well jesus better come soon because i want to get pregnant and have my children during the millennium because then right. they will get a free pass to heaven because clearly no one's gonna live a thousand years so we're gonna like live die go to heaven and everyone else has to worry about the release of satan a thousand years later And then I said, well, wait, that's not fair because I'm here getting tested, Satan all around me, whispering in my ear, and people who live during the millennium get a free pass. Like, who gets to decide? Who decides when to send the spirit babies from heaven to be born during the millennium? Because I feel like I got robbed. (laughs) Yeah, we're really, we have quite a bad deal, those of us who are alive right now, because you know, we have to deal with all this temptation now. Maybe we make it in the in the new system of things. But then we're going to be freaking re-tempted later. Yeah. You know, we got a thousand years to fuck up again. So it's just like, God's just like, Are you, do you really love me? Are you sure? <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a toxic, insecure God when you think about it. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. Talk to me about the anointed ones. I'm still unclear as to who gets into heaven. That yeah, um, that's another example of shifting, um, shifting the goalposts. Uh, progressive revelation, you know, like when Charles C.S. Russell was on Earth, they they point to these verses in Revelation that talk about one hundred forty four thousand people being called up to heaven. It's mentioned a couple times. Now, in the Bible, when you look at it, it's kind of remarkable that everything else in that verse is viewed to be poetic language you know they don't actually think because it also says like that they have to be virgins well oh all the governing body members are married they're not they're not virgins but that part's you know fake <laughs> bible language but the number one hundred forty-four thousand is apparently very real so when russell started out with the movement they thought we're gonna be the one hundred forty-four thousand people who get to go to heaven well then the movement balloons beyond one hundred forty-four thousand people so what are you going to do? Yeah. The end still isn't here, and there's still people joining. So they have this two-tiered system of salvation where there is a select few people who go to heaven. The majority of people are going to live forever on a paradise on earth. Um, and receiving the heavenly calling is an entirely interior experience that you are not allowed to question, So, which should raise alarm bells for for critical thinkers, especially when the leaders themselves say that they are of the anointed. Okay. One thing that they say often is that you it is inappropriate to ask people how they know they're anointed. So you're not allowed to ask how people know, but usually when you do anyway, because of course you're going to ask, they'll say, well, I just know. I just know that I'm going to heaven. So I never had that feeling. So I always assumed, well, that means I'm not. I'm going to live forever on Earth. Um, it doesn't really make sense. But it's, yeah, it's just a, some, you have some kind of communication from God and is a big secret. But yeah, all the current leaders think that they are uh, of the anointed. But yeah. Interesting. So yeah, I just did an episode with Brooke, uh, who is a former Jehovah's Witness, and she was telling me, yeah, you just kind of have this personal revelation and you just know. I was like, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And also, who's who's keeping track? Does anyone have a census of like, they know, they know, they know, there's only two spots left, guys. <laughs> they do. And it's, well, it's really interesting. Like, what they used to do, it, because they do keep track every year when they do the... They um, do keep track? Oh, yes. They've got the stats, baby. It's on the website. It, and it's like, so they do like what other churches will call the Eucharist. They do that just once a year. You know, they don't do it every Sunday. But once a year on the memorial of when they believe, you know, Jesus actually died on Nice and 14, they will do the whole bread and the wine thing. But 
they only think that you're allowed to partake if you are one of the anointed. So it's a very strange experience. You know, I've, I have now since been to churches and partaken of the bread and the wine, which is quite blasphemous. And by the way, it's weird. It didn't do it. It didn't make me feel particularly close to God, I have to say. Uh, but it is something that like when you go to a witness memorial, as they would call it, the memorial of Christ Jesus' death, you know, they, they break out this unleavened bread and this wine and they pass it around and it's just people passing and not consuming it because you don't think that you're worthy of consuming it. Mm. Yeah, so every year when they do that, and like I've been an attendant at the memorial, you're standing back and you're watching and seeing if anybody partakes. And if they do, you, you write them down. But if you know the person and you know that they're the congregation wacko, you think to yourself, <laughs> we're not going to count them. So you like, the yeah, it's bullshit. It's it's just like there's no way God chose them. We're not putting them down. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's like a Bible study, you know, somebody who's not baptized, because they're you know the 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 attendance is thinking like, well, they probably just didn't know, so we're not going to count them. Um, but what they used to do is, you know, the old publications would be like, one reason why we know we're getting close to the end is that we do the census every year and we see the numbers going down. There's only a few thousand anointed people left. Well. Then the numbers started going up. And now I'm pretty sure more than 144,000 people partake of the memorial emblems every year. So it's just pure silliness. I think they regret keeping track of it because now it's just kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Wow. So I have a super secret thing to tell you. Tell me. Your secret is safe with me. <laughs> Actually, you probably have already heard of this. But a lot of people don't know this exists. Even a lot of Mormons. There is such thing as a second anointing, which guarantees a spot in heaven no matter what you do after you are secretly anointed. I think I learned about this. Did you do this an episode recently on this on your show? People talking about it? I think we we may have talked about it before we started recording at some You're point. You're right, but we didn't get to it. Yeah. The second anointing is something that has been confirmed by multiple people you have to be handpicked. Usually it's like a super secret Illuminati club where if you get in, you get to nominate two people and they have to be married. They have to be uh, sealed in the temple, I believe. And it has to be like a husband and wife pair. So you can't just pick the guy. You have to pick both. So you get a time. This is all according to the Mormon stories episode based on someone who actually did it. Yeah. You get a call, go to the temple at this time. And it's when the temple is closed, so no one else is going to be there. You don't, you can't tell anyone that you're going. You get there, and then there's some sort of like washing ritual. You know what I did an episode? It's coming back to me. We talked about this. John Delin and I talked about it on our episode together. That's what it, I'm like. I swear to God, yeah. I, I know about this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's like a, a washing of feet. Weird. I don't know. You make extra covenants. And then that guarantees your spot in heaven. And I think he said the only way that you it's voided is if you murder. But you can <laughs> steal, rape, do whatever else you want. Wow. You're still getting to not only heaven, but the highest level of heaven. Yeah. That's so cra that's so wild to me. The second anointing. What a weird thing. You know, there's just all these weird little subcultures even within the group that that exists mm -hmm. it's always very strange uh and it doesn't help you know because now i'm i, I try and do stuff where I, I debunk stuff like people have conspiracy theories about the illuminati and it's you know it's fucking tough when you learn about organizations that really do have like secret <laughs> rituals within them it's like okay that one is true but the, no the celebrities are not a part of a grand conspiracy to indoctrinate your kids into the woke agenda so it's kind of it's kind of hard mormons are making it tough out there for us yeah, yeah, it's a little tricky. And yeah. when your church is built on Masonic rituals, it tends to be a little odd. And like nothing against the Freemasons, do your thing. But a lot of people don't realize that the Mormon temple rituals and secret handshakes and signs and tokens are directly from Masonic teachings. Like almost exact. Actually, some of them are exactly the same. And you want to know that because in Freemasonry, everything is super secret and you're bound to a vow of secrecy, which is why it's not really mainstream public, which is why yeah. you don't connect the dots. Yeah, but absolutely. a lot of it's the same. So spoiler alert, it's not special. <laughs> 
Wow, Jake, we've talked for an hour and this has been so amazing. I want to come back and do a part two where we talk about the culture, the rules, the mind control, everything that we kind of mentioned earlier, because this episode was already so full just talking about doctrine and theology. So before we go, do you have a Linda listen for me? Yeah, yeah, reset Linda Listen. I I feel like I stumbled into a good one last time, but I forget what the prompt is other than... Linda Listen is from the viral video of the toddler arguing with his mother to for whatever reason he wants a cupcake. And he's like, Linda, listen. Linda, honey. No, no, no. Listen. So it's a sassy statement. Something that you yeah. want to say to someone who you want to argue with or some people take it in an inspirational direction and give advice to the listeners. Linda Listen. <laughs> Um, if you have any concern that you might be a member of a high control group, whether it is an actual organized religion, whether it is a political movement or an online community, the fact that you are thinking that is good. And there is never a downside to double checking. You know, it, yes. it, it's all about harm and, and being honest to yourself. You know, if you're locking off a part of your brain, like you don't want to think about something, that's probably a good sign that, that you should think about it. And it's, it's a win-win because if you do research into your group, religion, whatever it is, critically analyze it and find out that it's true, then you'll be even stronger in your faith. If you do that and find out that it's fake then you will find out that, uh, you know, it might be a rough road getting out of there, but you at least know that you're not living a lie. So it's always worth doing the deep dive. It is always worth doing the deep dive. It is hard and it's time time consuming and it can rock your world, but it's always worth it. So that was amazing. I can't wait to record our next part. But until then, we're going to release these probably the same week. So stay tuned, everybody. How can people find you? Do you have a Patreon? Uh, obviously, yes. go to Altworldly on YouTube. Yes, go to Altworldly on YouTube. Do subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, I'm wanting to get it. I, I'm, you know, don't send this to my employers. I'd like to quit my day job and just do stuff <laughs> like this full time. So yeah I, yeah, I think it's either my name, Jake Vaughn, or it's uh, Altworldly. But you search around, you'll find it. And it's uh, it's fun. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff with um, cults uh, that I think is going to be different and uh, interesting. Uh, I, I want to take a lot of different angles uh, approaching this stuff, whether it's through pop culture analysis, an analysis, whether it's debating current members, uh, whether it's talking about other groups like this, uh, there's, there'll be a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, check it out. Amazing. Go sign up for his Patreon and also sign up for mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on putting new content on there too. Caitlin, you're my new patron. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining. And any final words before we go? Keep on. No, I don't. I was going to try and keep come up on with some keeping on. Keep on keeping on. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And until next time, follow your highest excitement to be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.